Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Talks with Dalat, where our goal is to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance for you and help you take better and relevant investment decisions for yourself. My name is Varun Fatehpuria and I am the founder and CEO of Dalat Wealth Management. I'm usually on the other side of the table, so this is definitely a welcome change for me today. The focus of our podcast series typically have been on individual items and news topics where we have gone through each one of them in greater detail. However, today we will be doing things a bit differently. We would be inviting guests from uh, the mutual fund industry and the investment world to help you understand this space that much better. These experts typically have decades of experience behind them and we feel that this would be a great value add to our listeners and viewers. And to that extent, our first guest on the show today is Mr. Jayanth Pai, Chief Marketing Officer of Parak Parik Mutual Fund. Jayant heads the online and the offline marketing function of the AMC. Prior to joining this, he worked in a similar capacity at the sponsor company of the fund, the Parak Parik Financial Advisory Services. Previously, he had held stints in institutional equity sales at HSBC, InvestDirect Securities, and at Tower Capital. Jayant, it is a pleasure to have you on our show today. Hi, Varun. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Great, Jan. So we'll quickly begin by exploring your own journey into this asset management space, something that is really coming of the age in India in the last few years. And more specifically, how did you get your start uh, into the Parak Parik family, first with their PMS and now with the mutual fund? Yeah, so actually, uh, I mean, no one in my family is into stocks or into funds or whatever. But uh, in the year 1990, uh, I had a group of friends in my college. I was in HR college in Bombay. And uh, so I heard them talking about stocks. And coincidentally, the index index touched 1000 in that period. So July 1990. Okay. So that ignited my interest in this. And uh, my grandmother gave me 20,000 rupees that time. <laughs> and said, you, no one in my family, in our family is keen on this. But I'm seeing that you are interested. So go ahead and do what you want with it. <laughs> so I don't know a double-edged sword because... That was a lot of money when you don't earn anything. Yeah. And uh, so so that's how the journey began. Of course, a lot of mistakes on the way. And uh, But luckily, I had a lot of good mentors, you know, who always protected me. So the guardrails were people who were uh, uh, already there into markets or if not into markets, but at least into finance. As well. Because in my family, there are more of doctors. So there are so nobody was into personal finance or corporate finance or whatever. But uh, so when I began my career in 1993, uh, so there was this person called Utpal Sheikh, who's now with Rare Enterprise. So I consider him as my first mentor. So he gave me an opportunity when even before my BCom results had come out. So that was really great. I mean, he took a chance on me, and so that's how my career began. And uh, he had a lot of ideas which now I think were really visionary. So much before FNO started in India and all, he already had talked out plans on strategies and this and that. And even regular equity research. So that's how it began for me. And after that, I've done various things within this field. So I've done... Uh, so I realized after some time that equity research is really not, you know, my field. Because I am a little impulsive. And I like to do many things rather than go too deep into something, into any one thing. So then I did various things like 
dealing and uh, institutional dealing, retail dealing and uh, but ultimately when the CSP course was launched in India in 2002, I realized that this is my calling because I was mostly interested in personal finance. So then I finished that, uh, so I was part of the first batch, so finished that in 2004 and uh, there was a chance meeting with Mr. Parag Parekh uh, because he was a grandfather member, a grandfather CFP. So there are some key members of industry were uh, accorded the designation by the institute. So I met him as uh, to invite him for one of the events that uh, we were organizing. And uh, he was one of our ideals in college also. So people like him, then Asit Kotecha, Nimisha, these were some of the ideals. So when I met one of my idols, I was very, uh, like, sort of, uh, I don't know what to say, I was benumbed. And uh, so, <laughs> and somehow it so happened that he offered me a job in the first meeting. So he just met me once and he offered me a job there and then and I was ecstatic. So that was, so that this happened in around 2004 end. And so since then I'm there with them. And uh, in again in different capacities. So I started off in, on the broking side because we were mainly brokers at that time. And uh, PMS of course was there, but I was more on the institutional broking. So uh, there were several uh, mutual funds at that time, Bidla and all that, who knew him as a person. But somehow the business side was not very active. So I just activated that. I just served the brand actually. The brand was already there, but it was a little dormant. So I just helped to activate some of that. Uh, he also saw that I was keen on personal finance. So we set up a personal finance unit within the company. This was in 2007. And uh, so the PMS was part of that. So we sold the PMS as part of the personal finance offering. Uh, after that, I took a short break from the company and then went to uh, this uh, Island FS uh, Invest Mart, which then became HSBC Invest Direct. And in 2010, when uh, the fund was uh, again, Mr. Parikh and uh, Rajiv Thakkar, they thought of launching a fund due to certain uh, impending changes in income tax which were proposed at that time. So, due to which PMS uh, would have turned out to be very tax unfriendly. So when they were due to launch the fund, Mr. Pari again approached me, asking if I would be keen on coming back. So I was more than happy again. And so from 2010 onwards, again, I'm there always. So that's my journey. Great, Jan. So thank you so much for putting light on your illustrious career and really, you know, getting started with a brand which is not really well known at a certain point in time. I think only when we look back in hindsight, we realize the importance of, you know, sticking with a certain group of people, having that conviction to see it through. Right. And that is also seen in the performance of the fund. Right. I mean, when uh, Farag Farik got started with its FlexiCap fund 10 years back, I think it recently completed its 10th year anniversary. Right. And it has really come a long way from managing a meager, I would say, 60, 65 odd crores in May of 2013 to over 35,000 crores today. Right. I mean, that growth has really been stupendous. So if you could just elaborate on the success of the fund, we all know that. Uh, performance typically, I mean, obviously, AUM follows performance, right? And so much of that growth has really come in the last few years. But you guys have been sticking to your own style of investing over the last 10 years, right? So could you just elaborate on the success of the fund? How how have you and the team has been able to see it through in the last 10 years? Yeah, so actually, let's step uh, beyond 10 years. So let's go back to, say, 2002. Because that was the time when Rajiv Thakkar actually 
Rajiv was very clear that we are not going to invest in such things. And he, he had this thing that I don't mind losing clients, but I don't want to lose my clients' money. So that was the uh, foundation on which we operated. And the same thing continued when the, uh, even in, on two, three occasions during, after the fund was launched. Say in 2017 was one example. When a lot of mid-cap stocks were just going up, you know, without a break. We stayed away from that. And even, so, uh, so again, they say that fortune favors a prepared mind. So, here what was happening is that we could not really uh, pinpoint when some inflection bond will take place, but we are generally ready for it. And that's what I've seen with Raji. He is a little bit ahead of time. But he has the conviction to stay put. And uh, and this company, I think, has given him a lot of freedom to do that. So, Mr. Parikh uh, personally supported him many times. You know, when which I don't know how many promoters would have done. Because there were times when we actually lost clients. But, you know, Parak Parikh had a lot of faith in Rajiv's way of operating. Uh, which even today his son, Neil Parikh, he also is showing us a lot, him a lot of support. So that is continuing. And uh, so what happened was, uh, as COVID, just uh, the first signs of COVID were seen, we were around 18% in cash. So we had already a watch list, uh, which included some foreign stocks and several Indians also, uh, which we got a good chance to deploy during that period. So from around March 2020 till around July, August, whatever, those three, four months, we reduced our cash positions from around 18% to around 5%. And every month as the performance numbers started coming, people started noticing that. So that's how the initial uh, so-called the second leg of this fund uh, was definitely due to the uh, COVID-related benefit. But that benefit wouldn't have occurred if we were fully invested. Correct. Sorry, UM was not smaller. Uh, I don't remember the exact number. I think it was only... I don't know, some housing growth or something. Okay. But the thing is that the thought process was the same that time, the same today also. Today also we are around 16% in cash. So because, I don't know, I am not privy to every thought of Raji. But what we feel is that he must be feeling that things are a little stretched of water. So whenever he has something to say, he writes notes. You may have gone through his notes. Uh, which are there on our website. So those give a good insight into his thought process. And we also hold unit holder meets. These are some of the other ways you try to differentiate. So one is in the scheme design. So in 2013, when we launched the scheme, that is FlexiCap, that time it was called Long-Term Value Fund. So the name of this scheme has changed many times, not because we wanted it to change, but due to regulatory reasons. So whenever SEBI comes out with any recategorization and this and that, we are compelled to change the name so that we are congruent with what the category demands. So we uh, currently it is the flexi cap category. So, but again, what we are doing within that is more or less same what we used to do uh, from beginning. Right. Uh, so then, uh, and this uh, two three things which we see Parakwari always see we had a lot of mutual fund clients. You know, uh, as brokers, when we used to talk to them, uh, we used to feel that they are under certain set of compulsions, which are actually inimical to the growth of their own scheme. So if the fund manager wants to do something, but that fund manager is unable to do it simply because of pressure from other sources, the sales team or whatever. So we wanted to have a fund which is free of such things. 
so uh, <clears throat> where the fund management team will have priority over all other things so that was uh, how it uh, began and so that's why there was no great marketing push or anything in the right. beginning similarly we did not give distributors uh, differentiated commission because we didn't want that incentive to skew the uh, decision of the distributor right and we were more on the side of the small guy because we were ourselves small right so he didn't want the ifa the independent financial advisors to feel that we were prioritizing somebody else Correct. and even today that same thing we are not giving different uh, differentiated commission so that has certainly hurt us in some ways but it's okay so so many of those people who did not want to come on board that time now they're coming on board simply because their own plans are demanded right right yeah so that's one yep. thing other thing was the unit holder meet so the unit holder meet concept is unique to our fund and the fourth thing which uh, is unique is the skin in the game part before sebi made it mandatory so from the first month we have been displaying our own holding so even my holding you can check it out on the website so we have a section called skin in the game where our own holdings are displayed so this shows that we are having conviction in our own scheme so so this is it so yeah from Around sixty crore close to whatever forty thousand crore is a dream. Yeah. But but now that the the challenge is that people now expect a lot from us. So they so the benefit of being a small fund is not there anymore. Right. So when people are giving billion to cut some slack, now they expect us to be very good on all fronts. So whether it is customer service or uh, uh, network uh, or uh, and of course return. everyone is looking at that right so oh yeah so we are cognizant of that and we are careful not to get carried away right so some of the great points i think jain that you mentioned right and that exactly answers my uh, next question that parak parik at that point in time really felt like an anti thesis of the entire mutual fund industry right like having one singular flagship fund having one commission for all distributor approach pioneering international investing having these unit holders meet right i think when i look at myself or even for that matter our firm either as an intermediary advisor or even for that matter as an individual investor i think all of these really imparts a lot of confidence in uh, from a transparency point of view we exactly know that what the fund is doing they are singularly focused on one particular strategy and the fund managers are open to meet you whenever you want to meet them right i think it that it is that level of transparency that level of approachability that has imparted confidence into a lot of the unit holders you are correct to mention that yes i think uh, starting small it is not really easy to get to a scale where you have reached in the last few years right and all of these things naturally just take time you cannot push i think when you are into the money man- management business you cannot really push something on to people right i think uh, you need to deliver on your performance and automatically i think clients and the aum will follow so that's a great point that you mentioned i think another thing that has stood out is the big bold focus on value investing right i think that is something that is plastered on your website plastered virtually across all of the marketing materials however we see that there is an equal amount of focus on the fast growing technology sector especially with respect to the international investments so how does the fund really reconcile both of these approaches when they are thinking about value and growth because we see that a lot of the investors usually think of it as an either this or a that approach you could either be a value investor or you could be a growth investor right 
but we know that the fund typically looks at value and growth a bit differently. So if you could just shine a bit more light uh, for our uh, viewers and listeners today on that approach. Yeah, so again, we have not been fixated on optical value. So it's never the cigar butt or the optically cheap bits which, you know, attract us. Right from beginning, because I've seen Rajiv from 2005. And it has never been that... So for us, value investing is uh, more of... It's all general investing. I mean, whenever you invest in something, you... I mean, for us, at least, we prefer safety over... Uh, the prospect of super normal return. We look at the safety angle first. So, like, I mean, people have flogged this buffetism for a long time, like, right? Rule number one, rule number two, don't forget. But this is really ingrained in our way of thinking. So, we take a lot of care before we invest. So, what happens is that we usually choose stocks where uh, which haven't uh, which may not have run up a lot or whatever or which may have fallen for some reason say some pharma companies here and there whenever some FDA ruling comes we look at it or if uh, many of the like the stocks which were there on a watch list pre-COVID you know they were all these so-called fancy tech stocks but we got into them after there was a big fall in them so also many of these uh, say things like alphabet and all that when we bought them they were going at very reasonable valuation so there are two ways to look at it one is to just look at the share price performance of the recent past but the second is there is a little bit of forecasting also required so Rajiv was very clear in case of Google so we bought Google roughly in 2015 or something so that time people are asking why why have we bought it so uh, because again, the same thing that it, it didn't fit into the value category. Uh, but Rajiv's note, which uh, was written at that time, clearly talked about the opportunity. So if you look at the opportunity and that too, Google had already proved themselves. So it's not like a startup. So it's not like a loss-making startup, which we got in. So Google had already uh, was there for, I think, since 98 or something. Google, uh, then 2004, they came with the IP. Yeah. Uh, so they were already there in the business for 20 odd years and but the kind of prospect especially in new markets was something which uh, Rajiv uh, thought was worth taking a a chance so when we bought Google it was going at around some 28 times earning which was very reasonable compared to what was going on in the rest of the market and uh, in the non-tech sector so many non-techs were higher than that so Google with already a proven track record had, uh, I mean, it was being valued at a reasonable rate. In case of Amazon and all, of course, the share price run-up was quite scary. Uh, but when we bought it, there was a steep fall. So we bought after a steep fall. So in most of the cases, it will be like this. So there were some stocks which were optically uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, falling into the value category. Say, for example, Noida Toll Bridge or in the olden days, I'm talking, we have held some stocks since beginning. So right from our first fact sheet till now, there are a few stocks which we have held. For example, Ikra we have held throughout, then Axis Bank. Uh, so uh, those things, whatever reasoning was there that time, if somebody looks at that and, and sees the current things, they might say that it doesn't fit in. But 
at that time it did fit in some cases the prices ran up a lot so we did sell for example apple was one case where we bought and sold quite quickly within a few months so then again people are asking that what are you doing you all have sold so far but see it's a dynamic thing yeah so we uh, we are not fixated on any one particular dogma we are open to think but the like as i said i don't see any great change in the way we are managing money in 2005 also and uh, now but yeah as more and more people come into the fund for us the challenge is to keep on uh, reiterating this so the our communication is always based on these things of uh, how uh see one more thing is this categorization of sebi into different things so value is one of the categories we consciously chose not to uh, you know like bucket ourselves into that because then that would have really constricted us in many ways things that we do may not have been clear at that point in time so we prefer to choose a more omnipers category like i think we chose multi cap before that and now flexi cap flexi cap yeah so this gives us a freedom to do things so for instance it also even apart from this the value part there's the freedom to stay in cash that itself is a big luxury so which many schemes prior to us they actually constricted themselves by uh, you know inserting in their mandate only that they cannot be more than 5 to 6% in cash but we did not do that so but yet to give our unit holders the benefit of equity taxation we chose the arbitrage so whenever we uh, you know there was a dot of idea we parked the money in arbitrage so because arbitrage is treated as equity by uh, for the purposes of taxation so that was good so that helped us so it also gave us the gunpowder to use it whenever we wanted so even today our if you see the fact sheet there is a good mix of cash is not just cash lying in the bank it's in various instruments right so that gives us some leeway but so one good thing about uh, the fund management team is that they don't panic if there is too much of cash which is very difficult to do because i remember in 2019 end there were articles against us in the media which not against against as such but we were held as a symbol for people who were stubborn you know who <laughs> who were not willing to accept that markets are going up and we were in uh, an abnormal we are holding an abnormal amount of cash so if i remember correctly the gap between us and the next fund at that time uh, in terms of the cash balance was roughly around uh, maybe 800 bps okay. it was quite a lot yeah it was quite a lot and see that time the media some people in the media knew us the seniors but many of the junior journalists and all they were not really knowing much about how we operate so but now slowly people are aware okay let's just how we do it and uh, many other schemes are also uh they give their fund managers more leeway nowadays and plus we have a lot of new categories like this multi asset category and uh so like uh there are other funds which promote a certain uh, scheme based on the market so yeah imbalance fund or something other they promote saying that we have the freedom to stay in cash right. but this was the case 10 years back so maybe that so there are many things i think i mean is just a joke in office that uh i mean uh, i mean it's just a joke don't take it seriously yeah 
people say that uh, the regulators often look at us and then bring about changes. So, yeah. for example, skin in the game, which they made mandatory, and uh, some of the categories which have come. So they say so, in that way, we are uh, the pioneers in many things. So that is just a joke. But yeah, but it it just but we are comfortable doing it. And the thing is that SEBI never prevented things. So when we launched the scheme in 2013, yeah, SEBI always never said you cannot invest in international and local together. It's just that I mean nobody was doing it. Right. So that's it. So we just read the rules more closely, and we found out that it's possible. Great. All right. <laughs> So, Jayan, just uh, just some final thoughts uh, for our viewers and listeners uh, on how do you think, given your decades of experience in this field, how do you think, because we see a lot of investors now dabbling into direct equities and, you know, playing with exotic options and FNOs and all of those things. And for someone who has spent time in the industry, almost always it feels like, you know, in the bull market, definitely those options do look very exciting. But over a longer period of time, that is something that needs to be done really carefully, right? So how, what advice would you give to our viewers and listeners today on how best to use mutual funds as an investment vehicle uh, to reach their personal financial goals? Yes, there are all the benefits of being regulated and diversified and having a fund manager, so on and so forth. Someone who knows the industry very well do appreciate that. But we, again, see a lot of investors not really appreciating the value of mutual funds as an investment vehicle. Uh, yeah, I think everyone should know themselves first before knowing all these products. I mean, I can tell from my own experience. So, actually, it, it sounds funny, but the reason why I did CFP in 2002 was because I got uh, enamored by this concept called SIP, which people started talking of in 2001, after the dot-com bust. You know, some papers started talking about this concept of, I think uh, the first one to promote this concept was uh, Samir Arora in roughly, 2001 so uh, so that's what got me into this thing into mutual funds because I was a broker and I was all into direct stock so my own DMAT account used to have 40 50 stocks and doing all weird things so in my case the best thing I did was close my DMAT account in 2012 and uh, since then I am free of this urge to trade and uh, so this urge to, to do something that is the biggest bugbear in investing. Right. So, because there is so much of stimulus all around you. So, uh, the like Buffett says, the toughest thing is to just sit in a room and do nothing. So, what I feel is that people institute, today it's very easy to begin things. So for example, right. you can commence a, a SIP online. You can, people say that they want to do SIP in the year 2100 and all that. <laughs> but, uh, and they, they actually start searching. But the problem with SIP, unlike insurance, is that it is very easy to stop. Yeah. I really wish make SIP as difficult as insurance to exist. But uh, like in insurance, you know how it is. Once you get in, the, uh, it's virtually impossible to get out without yeah, paying a hefty, hefty fine or something like that. Yeah, so even in a term plan, I mean, it is very difficult to mentally to convince yourself to stop and in, in terms of the traditional products, it's too bad. You really lose money. In term plan, you don't lose anything. But you still have that thing, okay, I've already done for 10 years. Let me pay for 10 more years. Because anything may happen. But in SRB, it's not so. So, uh, some funds try to put exit loads and all. 
to dissuade people. But I think the education that all funds should be doing is the benefit of not doing anything. So which is a paradox. So, but the thing is that once you decide on something, just keep, just don't overthink it. So that is one. I think that is the best way to just, so you know the power of compounding and all people know it in, they know it intellectually. Yeah. But the power, the actual experiential benefit, I think is only which something which one generation can convey to the other generation because it takes a lot of time. So today, so for instance, in both my, in, in case of both my kids, so one was born in 2002 and one in 2007. So in their days from the first month only whatever I've done. So that when I show it to them, they are very happy. But I tell them that this shows that when you all begin earning, this is what you should be doing. So that, so one is to, when they see the numbers, they are happy, but it's also a kind of a signal that this, this is what works. And uh, I mean, there are many things though. One is that people waste a lot of time in predicting things. You know, so there are two things. One is predicting and second is uh, believing that what happened before will happen again. So both the things are not really correct. So I think we should not dwell too much on all this. And just keep seeing and life is much more than all this. Yeah? I mean, I really believe. So once the SIP program is in place, you just go and enjoy life. Right. People are so much better about all these things. I mean, right. <laughs> that's I true. That should be the least sort of uh, your mind space should least mind space should be occupied by Sati. Uh so but at the same time you cannot ignore it so I think it's good to talk to some professional also I mean professional advisors because they will keep you tethered that's what I believe because this do it yourself is good but it can be a double-edged sword because there's nobody to stop you from doing wrong things so so I think so if you know yourself, see, I'm very impulsive. So I know what I should not be doing, but I learned it after a long time. So I'll be completing 30 years uh, this month on June 20th. I'll finish 30 years of my career. But I think for the first maybe 18 years, I was, <laughs> I mean, I really didn't know much. So also coming into this company, that is PPFA, has helped me to be grounded. Because you know how it is in finance, if you are in a wrong company, by company I mean the place, the employer also, and the people whom you work with, then it's very difficult. So peer pressure also plays a big role. So here everybody thinks similar in this company. And uh, so Mr. Parikh used to say that I give everyone a long enough role. So if they are not good, then hang themselves with them. So mm-hmm. only the people who, have, who are comfortable with our way of thinking, they have survived. And the employee turnover is pretty low here. So we know each other for a long time. So that also helps. So it's a, it's a combination of things. Yeah. So it's not just mathematical or emotional. It's a mix of both things. And keep learning as you go. So what works for you may not work for me. But that doesn't mean that you should give, give up what works for you. So so I say that just, just tell people that just close your ears and keep your eyes open and just Keep investing. Great. And again, don't overdo it. Like, don't have 20 mutual fund schemes or right. just fair enough. So, and don't get too much fixated on active versus passive. Just keep doing. Your people spend a lot of time on talking. Yeah. So, I, I think talk less and just put your head down and 
just let the numbers show themselves in some time. So that is the best proof you can give others. All right, great. Uh, thank you so much for such an insightful session, Jayan. I hope that didn't sound too pontificating. I mean, I don't like to talk all these things. I just got yeah. like sort of formally. I used to be very passionate about all this, but I realized even if I tell people something, after some time, after six months, they'll ask me the same thing. So I just yeah. stopped telling all this. But yeah. things you are no fair enough. I think this was a great and a very insightful session for all our viewers and listeners today. Right, I think Jayant come with the decades of experience behind him. So, if any one of you are able to even take some points that he mentioned, I'm sure your investing journey would become that much smoother. And uh, we'll continue with this series of talks with Dollar. We'll inviting uh, guests and experts from uh, different mutual funds and investment community uh, until the next one. Hope you all have a good day, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much. Thanks, Will. Bye. Bye. Bye.